Before we get going, Outside the Shoot would like to thank one of their sponsors, Coldstream Clear. Have you tried the new strawberry kiwi? Man, this stuff is good. Ditch the sugar with a fresh and flavorful vodka soda. Is iced tea your drink of choice? Well, Coldstream has both peach and lemon flavor. Taste the real tea difference. The only truly local hard iced tea made in the hub of Nova Scotia. Or maybe you're into mixing your own drinks. Coldstream has a huge selection of rum, vodka, liqueurs, and the must-try coffee rum cream. Visit them online at coldstreamclear.com and check out their amazing selections. Look for new products around all Atlantic provinces in the coming months, and they ship all across Canada. Again, that's coldstreamclear.com, Nova Scotia's original. Another week started. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. Welcome to episode 32 of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. Before we get going, this past week has been a tough one on us here in the fast pitch world as we lost two prominent names. On behalf of myself and Outside the Shoot, we'd like to pass along our sincere condolences to the family and friends of Ken Hill and the Six Nations Reserve in Ontario. Ken was instrumental in the formation of the Hill United Chiefs, who have gone on to win four ISC world titles to date and become an absolute powerhouse in the game across North America. Ken will definitely be missed by players past and present. Also, our condolences to the family and friends of the great left-handed pitcher and ISC Hall of Famer, Ty Stofflett. Ty was a five-time ISC All-World player who would win his first one in 1967 and his last at the age of 51 in 1992. Ty would also be named Most Outstanding Pitcher and Most Valuable Player on two occasions at the ISCs. Again, our condolences to both individuals, family and friends. This week's OTC Player of the Week comes to us from Virginia as Riley Johnson of the Virginia Unity 14U Johnson team takes home the honors. Riley hit 429 with a double, triple, five runs scored and a perfect five for five in stolen bases as she helped her team to a second place finish at the PGF Arizona Invite. Great job, Riley, and best of luck in 2021. Now on to this week's guest and we sat down and chatted with Texas Longhorn alum, current U.S. national team member, and one of the best pitchers to ever play the game, Kat Osterman. Kat's list of accomplishments are endless as she has the NCAA record for strikeouts per seven innings over her career with 14.34, second all-time in strikeouts with 2,265, four Big 12 Pitcher of the Year awards, Olympic gold in 2004, as well as the first ever Athletes Unlimited champion, just to name a few. We're going to talk to Kat about getting her start in the game in her home state of Texas, her story career with the Texas Longhorns, winning Olympic gold in 2004, the awesome new Athletes Unlimited League from this past summer, and much more. Kat was incredible to chat with. You know, I've been following her career and watching her since 2006, so the, the fact that she took time out of her hectic schedule to chat with us on here means the world to me. And, you know, I, I wish her all the best, not only in the game, but in life following as well. So as usual, grab that drink, sit back, relax, because here we go. I got the world in my palm. Lights, camera, action, it's on. I can't describe what I'm feeling. Ain't never felt this freedom. I got the world in my palm. Lights, camera, action, it's on. Ain't never felt this freedom. Could you, could you say that? Anything goes, anything goes, anything goes, anything goes, anything goes, anything goes, 
Kat, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How's uh, how's the training going down in Florida? Um, so far, so good. You know, um, I think for us, it's just a matter of finally being back together. I think someone counted, and it had been 299 days since we broke in March and um, first got here in Florida to train. So, um, long time coming, but obviously, we're enjoying being around each other again and getting back to work. Um, you know, with our goal in mind. Yeah, I was going to say it must be nice to finally have majority of of you all back together anyway. Yeah, you know, I think here and there, a few of us saw each other working clinics or live close enough to train, but quite a few of us have been uh, by ourselves for a long while. So it's nice to be able to see someone, run next to somebody, um, just talk while you're taking swings, whatever it is, and um, kind of enjoy that camaraderie because I think if anything, quarantine and COVID taught us is just the monotony of, of things and how much we are social people. Yeah, absolutely. So have the, have the, uh, have, have the coaching staff given you, you an outline of how the spring and summer is going to run or is it too early for them to, to make that call? Um, it's really too early for them to give us um, a whole lot. We have dates, you know, they've told us to block off certain dates cause that's when we're trying to do things. Um, but I think, you know, in the past um, our tour has has primarily been us playing colleges. And right now, most of the colleges here in the United States haven't um, even released their schedules. So I, it's hard for us to plan anything. Um, but, you know, we have dates that we're going to be training, um, or at least they asked us to block off to be training. So um, it looks like about two weeks a month up until June. And then I think pretty much everyone for safety of, of COVID will start bubbling around June to make sure that you know, we're not exposed to people and such like that. Right. Have, have they given any indication if, you know, for, for Tokyo, if you'll have to go in early to bubble or anything like that? Um, they haven't told us yet. Um, I know, you know, I think our plan was to already head over that way early anyways, but um, they haven't uh, told us a plan if it has to be earlier um, or anything like that yet. Right on, right on. Well, with uh, every guest we have on the podcast, uh, I always like to start off with the uh, Tell us when and where you got your start in the game. Um, so my first start was actually uh, probably in like first grade. I played and first through fifth graders were on the same team and it was kids pitch. And um, that's just not very fun when you're, you know, six and a 10 or 11 year old is pitching at you. And so um, I actually quit um, in lieu of soccer for a while for about four years and then um, got bored playing soccer. And my dad suggested trying to play softball again. So I did. And, um, thankfully someone let me try to pitch at some point. Um, because really, truly I have fell I fell in love with, with pitching more than I did the game of softball. Obviously the game itself became a love of mine as well. But, um, just once I stepped in the circle for the first time, um, I ran to my dad and told him, I think that's what I want to do. So, um, thankfully, uh, I found, I found my passion rather quickly in this game. Yeah. I I'm a pitcher as well. And I, I know exactly what you mean. I like, I can remember I started throwing when I was six, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I can remember getting that first strikeout and th- thinking, Oh, this is what I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, but uh, you said that uh, you had 11-year-olds pitching against you when you were six? Yeah, so um, two leagues had just split off and become their own. Like They were one, and they split to be two independent leagues. And so, yeah, first through fifth graders um, were playing 
together and it was kid pitch. And so, you know, first grade, you're six or seven. And right now I have a stepdaughter who's nine and she's in fourth grade. So fifth grade is 10 or 11, depending on when your birthday is. Right. And so, yeah, we were all together, which is um, a very drastic um, talent level when yes, you're talking it, about it would be just wow. getting started and you have 10 or 11 year olds swinging balls at you. Wow. Yeah. That, that is quite a, quite an age difference. Um, right. I want to, I want to talk about, about your time with Cypress Springs high school and, and travel ball competition. Um, was there a point that you thought like, wow, I really have a special talent that I could do something with this. Um, you know, I think probably sophomore or junior year of high school. One, I grew, um, I started high school at five, six and finished at six foot. So that just shows you, you know, I shot up somewhere in there. Um, but in between my junior and senior year, um, my travel team, actually the Katie cruisers got to play against the 2000 national team as we, as they toured, um, before they went to Sydney and that game in particular was, I was already being recruited by colleges. So I knew that, you know, okay, I was going to go on and play college, but, um, as far as national team level, wasn't sure where I was at, but I played them and I pitched five innings. Um, gave up one hit and struck out 11. And I think after that is when I looked at my dad and was like, I think I can do this. Like I can keep doing this for a while and I want to play on that team. So that game in particular stood out, um, you know, around that time in travel ball, I was starting to, to pitch some big games and and have some really big outings against really good teams. And, you know, obviously players that were going to go to the perennial powerhouses um, in college. So um, about my junior year is when I realized, okay, this is, you know, a little more than just, I'm, I'm good and I can go to college. Right. Was it, so was there anybody during that time, like that you would have been playing against that, you know, would have made a name for themselves later on like yourself? Um, not on my travel team, so to speak. I mean, we had a couple girls that went on. I am McMichael played at Mississippi state and played in pro ball. Um, Lindsay Gardner, who I played with in travel ball and college. Um, she was on the national team for a while for a little bit and then she played pro ball as well. So there are some that, you know, they went on and played some professionally and uh, might've been in the USA pool for a bit, but um, none that consistently stayed in the national team with me. Right. Right. Now uh, you'd end up committing to the university of Texas. I'm guessing with your Texas roots, would I be right in saying the Longhorns were always your number one destination? Yeah. So growing up in Texas, you choose either Aggies or Longhorns at a young age. And usually it's like family ties, but my parents are both from Illinois. So neither one had ties to anything in Texas. And I don't know what about it even before I really started playing softball, like made me love Texas, but I did. Um, I asked for, you know, University of Texas t-shirt for Christmas one year and I got it and I loved it so much. And, um, so yeah, when it came time to, um, go into recruiting. Um, I had asked my dad if he thought I'd be good enough to, to be able to go to Texas, even if it meant walking on. And so that was kind of in our sights the whole time. Um, I did take other visits. I did talk to a lot of other coaches and, and get a grand perspective of the college atmosphere before making my choice. But yeah, Texas was pretty much my dream school. And, um, when I visited there, I, I felt perfectly at home and, um, so yeah, committed on my visit. Nice. I was gonna, what, so what was your first impression of uh, Red and Charlene McCombs Field and the whole facility? You know, I loved it. At the time, it was kind of, um, it was a very pristine stadium and uh, an awesome setup. And, you know, with the fans actually being above 
above the field. It was really cool. Um, it's almost like they're looking down upon you. I know most stadiums now they're field level and everybody loves that, but, mm-hmm. um, at the time it was, it was awesome. And, you know, to me, I go back there and there've been so much, some alterations made and such. And it's different, but I still love being able to walk in and just, you know, you're on, you're on your own, your own level when, when the, when the fans have to be, you know, a little bit higher than you. And it, it was a place that I called home for a long time. And, um, you know, I enjoyed being able to go there every single day and, and be able to work. But at the same time, there were days you could catch me there on the off day, just laying in the outfield, you know, being able to soak it all in. <laughs> nice. Didn't, didn't they add like a, uh, like a hitting facility inside it, like beside the stadium or something like that? Yeah, they just added um, kind of a clubhouse hitting. Like, it's a new locker room, a new team room, coaches' offices. Um, there's indoor cages, all of that's new. Yeah, they just added and opened that this fall. Yeah, the, the players there, they must really enjoy that. Um, yeah. Uh, so usually there's growing pains in the in the first season for a lot of people, but you, you seem to put that assumption to bed going 36-8 and eight with a 0.83 ERA being named to the big 12 first team as well as pitcher of the year. Um, you always, and you threw five, no hitters with three perfect games. That's insane. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that, from the freshman season? Um, well, I mean, I had my growing pains. My first weekend out was relatively terrible. Um, and you know, thankfully my dad made the trip to be able to come down there and, and kind of help talk me through it. But I think the difference was I wanted to learn how to fix it really quick. And so, um, I took that first weekend and went back to work on, okay, what's going to, you know, what do I have to change? What do we need to make better? What do we need to do, um, in order for this not to happen again? So, um, you know, and the other part is I, I was super comfortable, um, with my coaches and, um, my teammates, you know, by the time I was a sophomore, I think there were like six of us that had played together, um, six or seven that had played together that were all at Texas playing. So it was kind of a, a very familiar feel. And so it wasn't like a whole new environment I had to jump into, but, um, I do remember I wanted to jump in somewhere. Like that was part of my choice to go to when I was looking at colleges was where can I go and get a lot of experience as a freshman? Um, you know, the powerhouses, UCLA had Kira Girl and Amanda Freed still, Arizona had Jenny Finch and Jenny Gladding still. Like I wanted to go somewhere where I would be able to pitch and not feel like I was going to um, have to, you know, work for my innings, so to speak, or, you know, right. kind of, yeah. I wanted to be thrown into the fire and um, I was able to do that. And coach Clark did a wonderful job managing both me and the other freshman, Amy Bradford, who came in with me. Um, we were both thrown into the fire and it was kind of sink or swim. And thankfully we both figured out how to swim really quick. Um, because the only other pitcher we had was a sophomore who ended up getting hurt. So Amy and I had to carry the whole load our freshman year. And, um, you know, the success was, was there in the writing itself, but, um, both of us wanted that and we wanted that experience. And so to be able to get it and embrace it, um, it's pretty cool. Cause I think some people want it. And then when they realize how deep they're in it, they're not sure how to embrace it. And then, you know, that's where you sink a little bit, but, um, you know, I wanted to figure out how to be successful at the next level. And so I was all ears and a sponge a little bit. And thankfully my coaches were able to help me navigate that, um, and make it a, a relatively quick transition versus, um, a prolonged rough freshman year. Right. Now, I think I read or heard that your first perfect game that you threw in that freshman year, that you didn't realize that you actually threw the perfect game. 
Um, no, I didn't. It, we, it was the first game of a doubleheader. Um, it was kind of cold outside. And no, and it's weird because usually I have an idea of what's going on, but it might have just been because it was cold. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> and yeah, the game, the game ended, and they made an announcement over the speaker. And I also didn't know there hadn't been a perfect game in the program history up to that point. Um, and so they they made the announcement that um, I had just thrown the first perfect game of my career, but also in program history. And kind of caught me off guard because yeah I didn't you know I wasn't I obviously was focusing on trying to get through the game in the cold versus what yeah. everything had happened in the game um, but it was pretty cool it was pretty cool and um, you know obviously the first of of some um, I don't want to say the first of many but first of some and um, you know just being able to see our fans react to it and for me it was kind of I think my moment where I knew I was going to be able to make my mark at Texas yeah that 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 would have been amazing uh, amazing uh you know what's the word <laughs> I'm trying to trying to come up with a word here but yeah that would have been an amazing moment you know especially for a freshman um and like you said when you're a pitcher you when you you get in the zone it's it's funny you, you there's sometimes that you don't really realize that you know, wow, I'm throwing a really good game until, until it's over. And, uh, that's, that's funny that you didn't know that you had a perfect game. So I just, yeah. wanted to, I wanted to bring that up. Sophomore season, you get the Longhorns to the women's college world series for the second time in its history. Uh, what do you recall about the the atmosphere in that, in that first college world series for you? You know, I remember no matter how many big games we had played up to that point, um, the nerves were just more. Um, and it wasn't like we hadn't played on that stadium. Big 12 tournament was hosted in that stadium. So we were familiar with it. Um, but I remember our first game, we played Louisiana Lafayette and I just remember being out there and, and kind of shaking, like nervous shaking and, you know, couldn't figure out why. Cause obviously it played by that point, uh, you know, almost a hundred games in college and, um, you know, what, what's the big deal, so to speak, you, it, you know, it's not the championship yet, but it was, it was just the fact that you finally kind of got to the promised land. And, um, I remember that, you know, the nerves and I think the nerves didn't leave me, unfortunately, until I gave up a two run home run. Um, and then after that, it was like, okay, we're here for business. And I settled down and thankfully my team came back and, and scored runs in that first game to get us, um, you know, staying in the winner's bracket. But uh, for the nerves to kind of settle down. So for me, that was kind of the first big nerve wracking moment. Um, but the atmosphere of the world series was just incredible. And, you know, it's changed so much over time. Now it's, it's a hundred times, a hundred fold of what we experienced, but, um, just to kind of be there with the crowds and, you know, uh, Oklahoma city has just huge softball fans in general. And, you know, during big 12, they obviously cheer for OU, but, when mm. Texas made the world series, they were cheering for us too, which was really cool. Um, and so it was, it was just a really fun environment to to be able to have our fans drive up, but at the same time, just experience um, kind of what we had all heard about and never really seen with our own eyes. Right. Now, would I be right in saying that like when you get to the women's college world series, that every little detail matters in every game? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you can't make it make an overemphasis on every little thing, but yes, I mean, it can come down to one pitch. It can come down to one mistake. Um, you know, later in my career, it did. You know, one bobbled ball in the outfield cost us cost us a game and ended up, you know, putting us in a loser's bracket. And then you get in a situation where you have to win back to back against people and things like that. So, you know, one mistake can change the game. 
Um, but that can happen in any other game too. So, um, you know, I think the old adage, you try to act like you've been there before, but, um, until you settle the nerves, it's, it's hard to treat it just like any other game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you think that your first two seasons were exactly what you needed to be ready for 2004? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, other schools I mentioned that I had recruited me that had other pitchers. I don't think I grow and mature and can handle high pressure situations. Um, if I go somewhere where I'm not thrown in the fire, um, as a freshman and sophomore. And so I do, I have said a few times in other interviews and with Olympic, um, stuff that I don't think I make that 04 team if I had gone anywhere else, um, to go to school. And, you know, you never know hindsight's 2020. And there's some people that can probably say, Oh no, we would have, we would have pitched you or this and that, but you don't, you don't know that because you don't know how I would have performed in a different uniform or a right. different environment. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I went somewhere where I had comfort and I knew I was going to get to throw. And, um, you know, thankfully coach knew too, that that was my goal. And so, um, you know, without being too pushy and too all up in everything, um, she did a really good job of managing me, keeping me, um, on a path to where, yeah, I could be successful and, and be ready for that 2004 tryout. Yeah. So 2004 was a pretty big year for you. The Olympic games in Athens, Mm -hmm. Greece, you guys take home the, the gold medal. Um, maybe walk us through that. Cause I can only imagine how amazing that must've been. Yeah. 2004 was, um, it was mind blowing to be honest. It was, it was a whirlwind. It was amazing. It was, you know, any positive adge- adjective you can come up with. Um, it was, but, um, you know, I think being the youngest, I came in and was very much going to do what I'm told, um, follow everyone else's lead. Thankfully, Lori Harrigan took me under her wing, helped kind of um, groom me, nurse me, and to be ready um, when my number was called. And um, but traveling across the world as, or across the country as much as we did um, that year, we actually went to Italy for two and a half, three weeks in April, and and that was for me the first time I had gone out of the country for a long period of time. Before that, it was like to Canada Cup. Um, or to Pan Am's, but that's usually like a week. This is, you know, three and a half weeks. And, um, it was really just kind of eye opening to get to experience so many different things with a group of women who were so determined to be able to take the field and present the best softball that you could ever see. Um, and then looking back to have, you know, sports illustrated name us the dream team. And truly I can say that that team I mean, they, we, we operated like we were a dream team. I mean, it was a well-oiled machine by the time we got over there and just to experience the games in the capacity that we did, being able to score as many runs as we did and just kind of be in control of almost every game. Um, it was, it was incredible. Um, and I am so fortunate to be able to have been on that team and experience that. And, you know, coming back now, being able to just share that experience and what it was like. Um, and how we got there and how we got to be like that. Cause it wasn't like we were all just named to a team and all of a sudden, boom, we, you know, tallied up runs, like the way we trained every day and every chance we got was, was incredible. And, um, I'm just very fortunate that I was able to do that at such a young age and learn, learn the way you should approach practice and games from an incredible group of women. Yeah, no, that would, I can only imagine. Now, were you guys there for the opening ceremonies? 
No, so we played the next morning. Um, so we weren't allowed to go, or well, I should say, I think we played at noon, but because opening uh, ceremonies last so long in transportation, you really don't get home till like three or four in the morning. And um, right. with a game early the next afternoon, we did not go. We watched on we watched on TV, and then everyone um, got ready for bed and and you know went to bed because we were there for for business. And as Coach said, he's like, you can celebrate and do all the fun stuff once we've taken care of business. Yeah. So, so it must have been a pretty cool moment get get an award at that gold medal though oh yeah um anytime you get to hear your national anthem while you're on the podium with the medal around your neck is, is incredible but um you know for the first time i think that was kind of an olympic team that had been recreated obviously we had some veterans um to, to guide us and to play an important role but you had a lot of youngsters and so for us to to be able to carry on the tradition of, of winning a gold medal was was huge and uh you know, there's, there's no other experience like it, to be honest. It doesn't matter. World championships are nice. Pan American games are nice. But, um, you know, when you hear your national anthem at the Olympics, it's a whole different level. Oh, absolutely. So you'd finish up your time with the Longhorns with uh, two more Women's College World Series appearances and rewriting the record books. What would you say was your greatest takeaway from your time at University of Texas? Oh, the greatest takeaway. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is one, you know, going there, like I mentioned, there were six or seven of us that had played together. So it was getting to be able to continue to play with people that you can call friends and family. Um, but then too, you know, by the time I left, there's a core group of, of the girls that were my bridesmaids and my wedding and stuff that, you know, they are my closest friends. They're my inner circle and my confidants. Um, and being able to have that, um, because we experienced so much in a formidable years of our life, um, you know, that's probably the biggest takeaway, but, um, I think the other part was just the fun of, I think we weren't, we weren't the underdogs sometimes by ranking, but we were the underdogs because everyone else kind of perceived it as like, well, they have cat, but if we can score off her, then, you know, we could probably win. And, and just seeing my team battle back, um, and go into battle to get the one run or the two runs that we need to win a game. Um, just kind of getting to see, you know, the underdog mentality come in, come out every day. Cause you never know what's going to happen and, until the game's played. And thankfully we had enough grit and perseverance that, um, we were able to, to be very successful. Right on. So is there, is there a, is it, is there a record or like anything big that, you know, that stands out to you from your time there? Like, is there something you're like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, I mean now that now looking back at it, obviously, um, you know, I'm I'm second all time in strikeouts, but I'm number one all time in strikeouts per seven innings. And when you look at it, I wanna say it's like fourteen point something and to think that you strike out two or more an inning is kind of crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, it's really ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like sometimes I would set it as a goal, but like to think how many times I actually executed that for that to be the average over and over is just um, crazy to think about, especially as I get older now. And yeah. I'm like, you know, if I get one in inning, I'm excited. Um, but just, I don't want to say the ease I did it with, but like just the consistency I did it with, right. um, it's pretty incredible. And I think that's my biggest thing. Like looking back, I'm like, wow, like now that I put it in perspective, they're telling me usually only seven balls were put in play. Like that's insane. I, it's going to be hard to score runs if only seven balls are put in play. So it makes sense. But um, that's probably the one kind of changing thing when people talk. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I obviously didn't realize what I was doing or the magnitude of what I was doing at the time. Right. 
Right. Yeah, I know. I I saw that record and I and I was like, what? I was like, and like you said, it averages out to two and in, and I was like, that is crazy. Yeah. Over over a four year career, like <laughs> that's just yeah. it's phenomenal. Um, so your first ever national pro fast pitch game, that's pretty crazy in itself. Twelve inning, one nothing win over Jenny Finch and the Chicago Bandits, where you struck out twenty four batters. <laughs> Quite a way to make a debut, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was um, you know, that was an interesting start to everything. They just it was so highly touted that you know we were going to play this crosstown rivalry. Um, they were trying to do this big pit but um, you know we're friends, and so it's like they tried to make us do kind of a stare-down photo shoot and we couldn't do it. We were laughing. Um, <laughs> they ended up, I think putting us back to back, like looking off in other directions, <laughs> but, um, but it was cool. I mean, it was, you know, we were in Rockford and a little tiny kind of city park, so to speak, but we had, I want to say they said we had like 1500, 2000 people like packed in there, standing room, standing out amongst the outfield fence. Like it was just crazy. Um, and then for it to go, yeah, 12 innings and, Thankfully, we finally won one nothing. But um, you know, kind of the the debut you want, but you don't want because now the expectations set. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I was I wondered what's what's the travel like? Like how how do the days work in 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 the pro league? Uh, it changes. Unfortunately, there's not very much consistency um, in schedules and, and things. So you could fly in and play in the same night. Um, you can drive in and play in the same day. Sometimes you might get there earlier. Um, I think that's kind of the one downfall with at least professional softball is the fact that, you know, to stay on some type of routine to keep your body going the way it needs to go is really hard. Um, because yeah, there were times we would land at noon and we'd be playing at 6 PM and, you know, it's still not great to get off a plane, even if you have six hours and go play. Um, you know, there was a running joke one year that I put in my contract. I wouldn't pitch if we flew in the day. And I was like, I didn't put it in my contract, guys. I just <laughs> said I would prefer not to. Um, would like to get my legs under me a little bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I think that's the hard part is I feel like, um, you know, MLB, other sports, they, they get a rhythm and they get a routine. And they have weight rooms there at their MLB facility that they can go work out in. And, you know, meanwhile, we're like paying $25 for a guest pass at the local gym or whatever, um, just to try to keep our bodies going. So, um, and you know, travel sometimes can be on a bus. It sometimes can be in van. Sometimes it can be flying, uh, you know, Rockford, if we could bus, we bust one time we bust home. Well, I think the team might've bust to Philly, but I met them in Philly cause I had been with the national team prior to that. Um, but then we bust home from Philly and that's like a 13 hour bus ride. Um, thankfully slept about nine of it because we left, you know, at midnight and got home the next day. But, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of the old school travel and, um, it was a little, it was a little rough. And then by the end, that's, that's when I retired when I really felt like I couldn't keep a routine that kept my body in a good, in a good place. Right. So would there be any, any like that you would notice that had a really tough time adjusting to that kind of schedule? really i mean it's person to person i think uh, the hardest part is just these pitchers when you fly in and you're expected to to pitch that night um and you know you normally you're a little rushed to get to get your baggage to get to the hotel let's figure out how to decompress but then not too much so that way you're still ready to go to play and things like that but um you know 
it's just person to person. And right. I think we all want to play professionally enough that you figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, for sure. So during your years playing professionally, is, is there any big moments that stick out to you that you're like, yeah, that was pretty awesome? Um, well, our 2009 MPF championship um, was pretty cool because on paper, there's no way anyone was predicting us to win it. Um, just, you know, we had a, I thought we had a good team. Um, we had good team chemistry more than anything. Um, but, uh, we ended up, uh, winning it and coming back and beating the pride at the time, which had Monica Abbott, um, two games on the last day to be able to be champions. And I think, um, just kind of shocked everyone that was following the MPF at that time. Um, and then after that, I mean, obviously anytime you win a championship, it's nice, but being able to play for the pride eight for the next eight years after that Oh nine championship. Um, that was, you know, one of the few times that I felt like I truly was being treated like a professional as far as, you know, he, our owner would take us to dinner. He would treat us right. We were put up in nice condos, things like that to where we could be successful at home. And he tried to do his best to give us the, the best, you know, everything he could as we, as we traveled and stuff. Awesome. So you got involved in coaching the last number of years at Texas tech. Uh, how do you enjoy that side of the game? Um, I love coaching. I got my start at DePaul University um, right out of college and then went to a D school, D2 school, St. Edwards in Austin um, after that. And then, yeah, I finished up the last six years at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. And, um, you know, co- co- coaching college and college softball was kind of my dream job. Um, unfortunately, um, had to step away in order to do this Olympic um, journey and just some other things at home with my family to have some more time there. But, um, it was my dream job and I loved it. Um, I loved being able to pour into athletes and, and help them, you know, become the best version of themselves before they go off into the quote unquote real world. Um, I felt like I benefited so much from so many of my coaches that, um, I truly enjoyed being able to be that for athletes as well. Um, and then obviously just fortunate enough to be able to, to do it in central Texas where I like to call home and, um, you know, be granted with some really great athletes that, you know, wanted to work, wanted to learn. And it was a great environment. So is this something that you see down the road being, you know, more of a, more of a full-time thing or, or is too early um, to tell? I don't know. I don't know. I've been doing it 12 years full-time. Um, so, you know, I, the, the break I'm doing from it right now, I don't know if I'll go back to it or not. Right. Um, there's no telling, but, um, I was doing it full-time for 12 years and just needed to needed some more time to myself while training. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you need that time. Um, yeah. I'd like to talk about the athletes unlimited league this past summer. Uh, we had, mm-hmm. we had Victoria Hayward on here and, and I told her that I thought the whole concept was amazing. I mean, I love the point scoring structure, the drafting of the teams weekly. The play was so entertaining to watch and it seemed like everyone was having like legit having so much fun. Now, I know it wasn't the Olympic Games that you were scheduled to do, but safe to say that uh, was a pretty good way to spend the summer, especially the way the year went. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've told a couple, like I obviously when I first heard about athletes unlimited was like, no way. Cause I was going to be done playing. Um, there was no part of me that wanted to continue to, to play after the Olympics in 2020. And so, um, thought the concept was kind of interesting. Um, had questions that, you know, I posed to people and was like, how is this going to work? And that one worked. But then obviously when the postponement came about, I had to figure out, you know, what's the best way to get to the competition, to get playing, to do something other than get at home and, um, thankfully they, they made an offer and I was able to play and, um, yeah, that was some of the best, um, 
I shouldn't say the best softball I've played, but some of the best softball I've played, but some of the most fun I've had playing this game. Um, and, you know, we all thoroughly enjoyed it and really um, just, you know, took advantage of being able to to uh, be around each other, play the game and, you know, learn from each other day in and day out. Yeah, it's like watching it, it really looked like all, like every single person there was having the like the time of their lives like it 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 looked like a lot of fun um did you enjoy doing the doing the draft because i know i would love doing the draft yeah the draft part was really fun for me um i think being a coach i kind of had an idea of what i would do um as we went in and then obviously week by week was able to kind of fine-tune things and follow players and see what was going on so i enjoyed that part i think there were some people that felt a little overwhelmed with it but I think having coached for so long, I was able to do that um, and manage continuing to play um, with with some ease. Mm. Like, I imagine it got like in. Was it six weeks? Did you guys do six weeks? Was it, or was it longer than that? I'm trying to remember. Five, um, five weeks of we were there for six weeks, but five weeks. Of five playing, weeks of I playing. Think. So, like during the like during the last couple of weeks doing the draft, it must have been you get a sense of after watching everybody play for, for three weeks, you would know exactly what you needed for like the point scoring system. Is that how it went? Yeah. You know what you, yeah, you kind of know what you need, but then at the same time you're trying to figure out, um, you know, what the other captains are going to need. Obviously if the majority of captains are pitchers, then you don't have to select them right off the bat or because everyone has at least a primary pitcher and things like that. So sometimes it was trying to second out smart, you know, making picks and obviously week four is when my team didn't do the best. And every time I said, okay, well, we'll get so-and-so in the next round. By the time it came our turn, they were gone. So I was like, okay, something went wrong this, this week to where every time, literally every time we said we won't get someone, they weren't there anymore. But um, it was fun. It was a fun added bonus to be able to have that as part of our experience. Yeah. Now I asked, I asked Vic this question when she was on, was there anybody that uh, jumped out to you that you've never really seen before that really impressed you? Um, well, you know, there were quite a few young ones that I don't know much about, um, mm. to be honest. Um, I didn't know much about Morgan Howe, who obviously had a great season. Um, I enjoyed playing with Jordan Roberts and watching her make the most of every opportunity um, she was given, especially when she was on my team. Um, so that was really cool to see because by the end of the, the, you know, the last week, she was in my everyday lineup, and that was really fun to get to see her um, really just – you know, run with the chances she was given. So um, there were quite a few young ones that I didn't know a whole lot about, but those two probably stood out the most. Right on. Now the, the sports illustrated article, the unrelenting that came out after it was all over, uh, which it was a list of the most powerful, most influential and most outstanding women in sports right now. Um, that must've been a pretty proud moment for yourself to be listed along with the uh, Erica, Jess and Vic. Yeah, I think that was really cool, um, especially for them to just recognize athletes and women in general. Um, you know, it's it is a, a game changing um, avenue right now, and so for them to highlight the four of us that were able to finish on top of the leaderboard, but then just you know allow us to kind of push our platform a little bit was really really cool. So when they shared that with us, I think we were all really super excited. Right on. Now we do a little thing on the podcast, uh, usually at the end here that. Uh, I, it's called player association. I'll, uh, okay. I'm going to throw out a name and you can say as much or as little as you want about them. So I'm going to, I'm okay. going to start off the first one with, uh, coach Connie Clark. 
Oh, Coach Clark. Um, well, I know that her license plate read Rise Ball in college. Um, and then, Did it really? Yeah. Um, we we often went back and played in Fullerton, and so her um, her, her teammates would give us all the little tidbits about what, what was funny about her. Um, but Coach Clark, patient, um, encouraging, and, you know, for me, I will always be in, indebted for her to give me the opportunity she gave me and allowing me to grow and get experience so quickly in the college game. Um, I just will never, never be able to fully pay her back for the opportunity she gave me that allowed me to to have the springboard to get into the national team program. Nice. Uh, next on the list is uh, Lindsay Gardner. Lindsay, um, you know, we played every single level of softball together, which is pretty cool to think about. And to be honest, I joined her dad's team um, when I was 16 because she was committed to Texas and I hoped that got me in front of their eyes, but, um, she's an incredible player. She's incredibly crafty and, um, just kind of, she's that pesky like hitter. That's hard to get out, but she's that like sneaky base runner that always finds a way to get an extra base. And, um, just being able to play with her made me better. Um, but at the same time was just so much fun to watch. Um, but I have, I enjoyed very many years, um, just being able to talk softball, talk life, um, and have her by my side as, as the journey unfolded for me, um, especially early in my career. Excellent. Uh, next is Lori Harrigan. Oh, Lori. Um, again, another one I think I'm indebted to for a long time. Um, you know, she was she was the left-handed veteran when I got into the program, and without hesitation, she took me under her wing and kind of helped me be able to navigate, not necessarily pitching itself, but more of, of growing up in this program and, um, figuring out how to, how to carry myself and how to communicate better. And, um, just the role that, you know, us non-hitting pitchers have, because obviously you can go to school and sometimes they let the non-hitting pitchers just kind of like hang out over by the fence most to practice. But, you know, we have, we have duties when infield's running, you know, running ground balls, we're running buckets when they're hitting, we're, we're shagging and running buckets in and just things like that. But, um, I will forever be indebted because she was kind of, uh, my mama bear for the first, for 2003 and 2004, um, on this team. And I think it could have easily been easy for her to just kind of let me be and figure things out on my own and not, not extend that arm to help. But, um, she really did help me grow. And I think part of my ability to be successful in this program from 01 to 10, um, just really surrounds the fact that she was able to impart so much on me and, and keep me in a good place at a young age to where I was able to kind of continue that on after she retired. Yeah. It's great when you can have, when you're that young and you can, you can have somebody like that to, you know, guide you along. Um, next is, uh, Jenny Finch. Um, you know, Jenny and I, we shared, we shared the mound for, I think a solid eight years in the national team. Um, and love her to death. We are probably very opposite as far as if you were to meet us on the street, but, um, you know, we've always been friends. We don't necessarily see each other and talk a whole, whole lot, but when we do, it's always, we just kind of pick up right where we left off and, um, I know if I needed her, I could call and vice versa. Um, but an amazing person, obviously a tremendous ambassador for our sport. Um, but someone I'm fortunate to be able to, to look at and, and say, yeah, that's my friend. Um, and not necessarily starstruck because obviously we entered kind of the national team around the same time, but, um, you know, we shared the mound and we were, we were opposites pitching wise and everything. And so I think we were a good compliment and, 
just being able to talk with her and jog down the fence and talk about anything and everything is when we weren't throwing, um, uh, all that, like, you know, just so many days spent with her and I, I cherish all of them. And I'm just super proud of what she, she did when she was playing and what she's been able to continue to do, even, um, you know, well, we're 10 plus years since she retired. So, you know, in all these years since she retired. Awesome. Two more. Uh, okay. Victoria Hayward. Oh, Vic. Um, I didn't know much about Vic until we played athletes unlimited together this past, um, summer. And, to be honest, they didn't know what to expect, but um, we both figured out we are very similar people personality-wise, um, super competitive, um, super kind of control freak, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so we, we're twins in some way, but um, her passion and energy is just contagious, and I loved being around her both on and off the field, and um, you know, truly a friend that I, I will have for years on out, from here on out, um, since we played, and it's kind of crazy to think, you know, in a six week time, I made a new lifelong friend. That's awesome. Last one is Randy Rupp Hennigan. <laughs> Randy Rupp Hennigan. I have a hard time calling her Randy Hennigan. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've said to many people that my pride and joy as a coach, um, I love all my pitchers and love to see them succeed. And just being able to see her go from, from weekend one as a freshman to where she got banged around the yard and we were in tears um, to being an All-American twice at a mid-major just showed her trust in me, her comfort factor with, you know, the changes I was making with her. But at the same time, just her ability to be able to adjust and compete. Um, it's really hard, I feel like, in our region because, you know, we have all the Big 12 schools. Sometimes you get, um, you know, LSU or some of those other schools in our region, so to speak. So for her to be able to do that um, – it's tremendous. And not to mention as a coach, you look at her, she's an incredible human being. Um, she wants to give back. Um, she just carries herself the right way. She's a representation of your program and anyone that she's come into contact with. Um, she's amazing. So, um, love her to death and thankful that I got to spend athletes unlimited with her and kind of full circle, come around and go from coaching to competing together. Awesome. One final question before you go. All right. What's, uh, What's in store after Tokyo or is it or too, er, too early? Um, it's too early. The door is open to, to possibly do athletes and women again. Um, but uh, yeah, so the door is open. I'm not fully sure yet, but um, at some point in 2021, I will be done playing, um, but uh, too early to tell exactly when yet. Right on. Well, Kat, I need to thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you had a hectic, no problem. Thank hectic you. schedule going on for, for you to take your time to come on is an absolute huge moment for the podcast. So I appreciate that very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, all the best in Tokyo. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Kat. For the clouds apart and let the light shine through. I want to wake up to a better tomorrow. Because I've had enough. Where is the trust? Where is the truth? It's about time for some good news Trying to see what's on the newscast this evening Nah, I don't need no reason Music in the air, got the Grammys on the cable Dinner on the plate, whole family at the table 
ride home, cork, hit your soul, take your shoes off This that feel good, yell it loud from the rooftop This that snow day, all the kids taking school off This that Billie Jean, Michael Jackson, first moonwalk And I've been waiting for some good news, good news I'm just trying to get my foot loose, foot loose And we've been dealing with the wrong things so long The smallest things can make it right, that's why we hold on for some good news I've been waiting on some good Talk about what's going right. My daughter's smiling because of racism.